It's the end of his missionary journey, and he's there in the house of Nero, the house of Caesar. So he's in chains, he's in bonds, he's under house arrest, and he's writing to the church of Philippi. He wrote many letters from, from Rome. But we know that Paul is towards the end of his life when he writes this as well. Um, he's older, and in one place we, we know that he is not only the prisoner and he's old, but we know he's cold. He asked Timothy to send for his coat, so he's cold in this prison. And not only is he bound and he's in chains and he's at the end of his life, but he has an affliction. We all know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We're not sure what that thorn in the flesh was or his affliction. Uh, we speculate what it is. Some say it was he had eyesight problems. Some say he had malaria. Some say he had epilepsy, uh, a speech issue. Um, so we're not really sure. But we know it was severe enough that Paul went to God three times in prayer and asked the Lord to remove this affliction, move this, this thorn in his flesh. And just like us, when, when we go to the Lord in prayer, I imagine Paul had two things in his mind when he went to the Lord in prayer. These two things being, well, I'm going to ask God to remove it, and then what will happen is either God will remove it so I can continue in the ministry with full health, or two, God will not remove the affliction, and God will not remove the thorn in the flesh, then I will be impeded in my ministry. I won't be able to do the things that I know I should do. But what did God do? God answered it with a third option, a third option that Paul didn't even think about, that God had left the affliction on Paul, but God gave Paul the grace to get through the affliction and the peace to get through the affliction. So we know that, that Paul had many times, he had said, I've got this, this infirmity, this affliction that's impeding me to do things, but it was actually bringing out the demonstration of God's power in our weakness. I mean, Paul is an amazing evangelist, amazing committed preacher who had went through and suffered all these things. And if you just looked at his life, you would, I, I imagine you would say, how is this man still going? There must be something greater in his life, moving Paul, and there was. And so in his weakness, we could see God's power demonstrated in the perseverance of Paul. This letter, so, so now that we know a little bit about Paul and his situation, this letter that he sends to them at the end here in chapter 4, we know that he is thankful. He expresses his gratitude to them in just beautiful language. And don't you wish sometimes that you could just express how grateful and how thankful you are to others to where I'm never satisfied that they really don't know because I cannot express it with my words enough. How much you mean to me. How much I love you. How much uh, what you do, your prayers to me or your gifts or whatever that you send is appreciated. And Paul is doing that here. But he, he's giving them thanks with clarity, though. Now, here's an interesting part. He's thanking them for what they gave him, but he's being very clear that he was not dis desperate or depressed without it. Okay, so we need to understand, uh, and we are going to jump a little bit around, but look at verse 17. He says, not because I desire a gift, 
but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He didn't want the Philippians to misunderstand his thankfulness, that he was happy with what they gave him. He was blessed beyond joy that he gave them a gift, that they, they ministered to his needs, but he wanted them to also understand that his joy was not pinned to it. That even without you ministering to me, it's not as though I desired for you to give me something. What was Paul's desire? It's very interesting. What his desire was in the middle of verse 17 was, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He was more happy that they did it than what he got. You ever think about that? You ever, you ever receive something just when you need it? Lord, thank you. You're thankful to the Lord. And you receive that. But at the same time, can you say, you know what? I bet the Lord's going to bless them for giving that to me. Amen. I'm happy for them. Yes. I'm not just happy for me. And, and make no mistake, God will supply all my need. Thank you for giving to me. But you know what? I praise the Lord. God's going to bless you for even giving it to me to begin with. And that's what Paul's attitude is. Isn't that something? So this brings out the idea of contentment. Paul had to be a content person to have that kind of attitude, didn't he? And that's what we see in verse 11. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. So the first thing we want to ask ourselves is, what is it to be content? Now, the whole chapter 4 is this theme that we, as God's people, are to have a secure mind, resting in the promises and the provision of God. That's chapter 4, summarized. We are to have confidence, and when you have confidence, we have security. We have security that no matter what life has for us, that God's on his throne, it is all orchestrated by God, and in some way God is going to use this in my life to bring him glory. So I can rest in these promises. I can shore up my hope that it will not be ashamed. But he starts with the mind and the heart. And our mind and heart must see this. So what is being content? Content in the Greek is being having the sense of sufficiency. Um, you have enough. Being content means that you have enough. There's nothing lacking. That it's sufficient. Now that's the technical definition of being content. But what is the being content in Christ? What's that definition? Well, that's a whole other mindset. Being content in Christ, there's three things. There is being the master. There is being a victor. And there is being a conqueror in situations. It's not just having the type of satisfaction of what God has given me. That I'm being content. It's sufficient. Everything that is in my life, everything that God has supplied me with, is sufficient for all my needs. I do not need anything else except for what God has given me. Not only are we satisfied, but there's the mentality of we are victors in our circumstance. There's the mentality that I can persevere through anything in life. That happens. Grief, sorrow, heartaches, injuries, health, pain. Not only am I satisfied in God and His promises, but I can endure. I can persevere. 
Here's the thing. We are masters in our circumstances, not slaves. We are victors in our circumstances, not victims. We are conquerors in our circumstances, not casualties. The things that happen to us in life, we are more than conquerors. So not only are we content, but we have this attitude of being conquerors and victors in him. Now, that is what is to be content. That's defining, well, what does contentment mean? What does it mean when Paul says, whatever state I am in to be content? I'm to have this mindset because that's who I am. That's who Christ has saved me to be. But how can I be content? Paul had to learn it. Paul had to learn how to be content, how to be satisfied in what God has done. And you have to learn it. And third, it is worth learning. Being content is something worth learning. Now, content is something that is taught in the classroom of situations in our life that challenge our contentment. You know, I was thinking of, of those who are going back to college. Uh, Emily wants, Emily has a chemistry class. And in that class, they're teaching chemistry. Well, where does Emily have to go to learn chemistry? Well, she has to go to the right building. She has to go to the right class in the building. And it has to be at the right time. They're not, she's not going to learn chemistry in biology. That's the same thing with learning to be content. And that's what Paul says. I've learned to be content in the classroom of situations that come up in your life, in the classroom of circumstances that come in your life that challenge your faith, that challenge your contentment, that challenge that I have all. I abound in Christ. I have all. There's nothing more that I need. And so that is where we learn it. And Paul says here in verse 12, he says, uh, not only have I learned it, what has he learned? He says in verse 12, I know. I've learned this through experience. Both how to be abased, and that means lower rank. That means to be content in a lower rank that somebody's given you. Well, they just don't know what I got to offer. Be content in a lower rank. And how to abound, to be content, be satisfied in God. Even when we are asked to step up, and I know how to abound, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That word instructed is a course which Paul had learned up to this point. Remember, he's near the end of his life. We've seen Paul's life in Acts, a lot of it, haven't we? We've seen a lot of resistance that Paul went through in his life. And one of the things that we need to also see that discontentment is an awful spirit to live in. It's an awful thing to have. It's just continual discontentment. Discontentment where you're never thankful, you're never satisfied, and you're always complaining disfigures your character and it actually disfigures your physical appearance. You just look like you got a scowl. Well, you, you never wanted to run up and get to know somebody who just didn't look happy and was always complaining. It was about not very inviting. 
Well, that's the spirit of discontentment and how God must be displeased with us when we walk around just moping and complaining and about our lot in life or things like that. And they may be very, very understandable reasons why somebody is sad or, or feels this kind of why, 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 and we understand it. We can relate. But how God must just be weary of us because if when we're not content, you can't be thankful. And what was the ultimate failure of man that we saw in Romans chapter 1? That he glorified God not as God, neither were thankful. It was the ultimate failure of man. Neither were thankful. Now think about this, and, and I tell the children this all the time. I tell the, the children the secret to success with me. <laughs> if, if, if you want me to shower you with gifts, if you want me to just give you things that you never thought I would give you and just go over the edge, over the top for you, here's the secret. Don't ask. Don't ask me. And that's not, I, when, as a parent, and they know this lesson, it's, it's not that they're not asking me for things that they need. Of course, as a parent, God, the, uh, God tells us to ask for things. But when they get to the attitude of being not satisfied and asking in a whine for things, they're not satisfied with what I already got them. They're demanding more. They're needing more. And not just children, but spouses. One of the most beautiful things as a husband or a wife that you can be is content. And that's in marriage counseling. That's the same way. You know, the, you, the, your husband or your wife, is you would be surprised how much more openly and overflowing love you're going to receive if they, if they were happy, if they were content with the love that you're already giving them. I'm already giving you this love. And if, if all they do is complain that you're not good enough, okay. Same thing with children. If all they do is complain about how you're not providing enough, okay, I withdraw. Now think about the Lord. Think about your situation in that. Now if all you can do, the Lord gives you everything. How much more willing would God be to give you everything in abundance of what He was giving you when you are satisfied in what he's already given you, when you're content, when you're thankful, Lord, thank you for giving it to me. And it's, um, I know that many of you are, are going to be that way too. I don't know if you all are like that. But, you know, it's, and the, the kids know that. The kids know, look, it's not so much asking me if you need something, but it's being content, it's being happy, it's being satisfied. Same thing with marriage counseling. And I just want to reiterate this point over and over because it's, it's a good point. It, it's a really good point because you can relate to being a parent or you can relate to being married or one of these things and take that relation that you have and how's your relationship with God? God is more likely to shower you with gifts when you're thankful for what he's given you. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. I need nothing else. I need nothing else. Oh, he's going to shower you with gifts. Uh, you know, have you all heard the give a mouse a cookie? Uh, we read that story to the kids, and, and I, I love that the kids still remember it. You give a mouse a cookie, and they're going to want a glass of milk. You give them a glass of milk, and they're going to want a straw. Well, you give them a, a straw, and they're going to want a mirror because they want to get rid of their milk mustache. Well, you give them a mirror, they're going to want scissors because they're going to see how they need to trim their hair. And then once you give them the, trizzer, the, 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 the scissors, they're going to want a broom because they've made a mess. And then because you gave them the broom, they're going to want a dustpan. The mouse wants a cookie. Give a mouse a cookie and they just keep wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting and they're never happy and they're never content. And that's why we should not be with God. We should always be thankful. Always, Lord, for this situation that you've put me in. That is how to be content is to not be discontent, <laughs> unthankful, ungrateful. Now, being content is a work. Um, in verse 18, look with me. Paul says, But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But we also see that this work is a work that starts in the mind. In verse 8, Look back, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Learning to be content starts in the mind. Think on these things. Think about the grace of God in your life. Think about how God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Think about the faithfulness of God to you. Um, we think on those things. And then in verse 9, he says, Those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So once we have committed being content and thankful and satisfied in God, not only those, remember our three, that we are a victor, that we are a conqueror, and that we have overcome, we are a master, all those things, we, it starts in the mind. And how does it start in the mind? Paul tells us what to focus on in all things of life. And even in verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything of life, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. He's going to shelter us. We're going to be able to do this as God's people. We're going to be able to go through the storms of life and be able to, in our minds, dwell on those things which are pure, which are just, which are lovely, good report. Keep those things in your mind. And actually, with thankfulness, let your requests be made known unto God. In those situations... Lord, thank you for what you've given me. And what a Job. Job, at the end of the day, as he's, he's scraping off uh, boils from his... He didn't have anything. He was sitting on a, a heap of ashes. And he said, the Lord giveth, 
and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so at the end of the day, if you have nothing left but an ash heap that you're sitting on top of, you're a child of God. You're going to glory. And out of that unbelievable circumstance, God is making something beautiful. He is. You can trust him. Uh, I can be thankful for that. And so this contentment school is when we have challenges to it. You know, every one of us are going to come to a situation that will overpower us. But just as Paul did, we learn from example by Paul that, it, that we meet it head on in the spirit of Christ. We meet it head on. Um, Pilgrim, I, I love Pilgrim's Progress, and Christian had come, you know, many of you all may know it. If, if you don't know Pilgrim's Progress, I highly recommend. It's a, the whole story is an allegory. Rich doctrine. It's not a light read or a fast read. Uh, if you read it right. So he comes up, Christian's on his way, he has people accompanying him, and he comes to a hill called Difficulty. And right at the base of Difficulty, there's a spring of water. And in that spring of water, uh, I like what uh, John Bunyan wrote it, he, he quotes this scripture, They shall not hunger nor thirst, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. So here comes Christian to the hill difficulty, and it's straight up, and it's narrow. But he notices on the left side of the hill, and on the right side of the hill, there's two easy paths. One to the left is called danger. The one to the right is called destruction. But it says that Christian... Within himself, he said this, This hill, though it is high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way of life lies here. Pluck up, O heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. Now, Christian goes up the hill difficulty. But the other two who came with him, they saw that the other paths were easier. The one who went down the path of danger, he ended up walking and then ended up lost in a great forest of woods and was not seen anymore. The other one who took the road uh, destruction, it led him to a field full of dark mountains where he stumbled and he fell and he rose no more. Now here's the thing. So many times, so many times, even the best of God's people, we choose to take the path of least resistance because here's a hill that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to be convicted and committed to the faith. Sometimes it's hard to be convicted and stay steadfast upon the word of God and unmovable, especially when it comes to loved ones. And how much easier, doesn't the devil in your flesh whisper to you? It'd be so much easier if you did not say anything to them. It'd be so much easier if you just let it go. If you didn't stand for your principles, if you didn't stand upon the word of God, how much easier would it be just to, to go along with them, to go along with the crowd? The devil says, it's work. 
You're choosing to make things hard on you. You're choosing to have stress on you if you go up that hill called difficulty. But oh, much better. Much better is the way that God directs and leads us, that He goes with us step by step, day by day. He never leaves us for or forsakes us. When we commit and in faith we take that road, we, we choose to fight the fight, the good fight of faith, that He is all the way my Savior leads me. Amen. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy? Who through life has been my God? Oh, it's heavenly peace. And it's comfort. Here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. And that's our Christ. That's the one we hope in, we love in, we have faith in. He is able. Now listen, we're conquerors. Don't get to that hill of difficulty and think that you will be defeated if you go. By faith we go. Knowing we have the victory. Knowing we're the master, not the slave. Knowing we're the victor, not the victim. Knowing we're the conqueror, not the casualty. That God will give us the victory. So how do we become content? Well, there's moderation of desires. And he tells us in verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. How, how do we... We know it starts in the mind, but how do we act this out? Moderation is a gentle suitability. Moderation is being an, a gentle and patient. What is in my life is suitable. What, in my, what God has given me is suitable. And I'm patient. It may hurt, but God's going to use it. Somehow, the Lord... It's going to be hard to be content. I'm not going to be content with pain. I don't know if you all, I can't be content with pain. I'm begging the Lord to take it away. Um, moderation. When somebody walks in and watches you, what will they see? When our moderation, with our moderation here, make it known unto all men, gentle forbearance gentle forbearance, that God has given you grace. There's something different about this guy. There's something peaceful on his face. And Lord, help me. Uh, April will tell you I don't go, do good with pain. But the more I don't do good with it, I'm shooting myself in the foot because guess how I overcome it? God puts more of it in my life. I'm like, Lord, if we could just skip that lesson, I'll, I'll be fine. That's not the way the Lord works. Where he knows you need work, you're going to have a lot to work in that work. Another way of being content, how to be content is exercising faith. The work of faith is to be moderate in desires, satisfied in God's sovereignty, masters and victors and conquerors in all our circumstances knowing that God will provide. It's not just a matter of being satisfied. It's the attitude of perseverance. I will overcome because I trust in him. I will come out of this bringing glory to God. I will. Um, oh, I've got a beautiful story. I wanted to, well, real quick, I'll, I'll give you this story. There was a little girl named Gwyneth. 
and she rode horses. The wind in her face, I mean, it was gallant. Her life was overcome with just beauty, health, vigor. Everything was working out for her. And one day she had a horrible, horrible accident. And it left her crippled the rest of her life. Well, from that day on, Gwyneth had become bitter. Life had changed. It had turned upside down for her. Everywhere she went, she was upset. She complained, and, and she hated the lot that was given her in life. Well, one day, one of the family members had a friend come over who was saved. And they told Gwyneth this story. They said, you know the canyons? You know how the canyons were formed? That one day there was this huge upheaval. And then the rocks just started blasting from this upheaval. And they would go jagged. And they would go here. And they would go there. And it was ugly. It was upsetting. It was disturbing. It was this huge, it was unplanned in a shocking way. This ugliness appears in the land. But pretty soon, what happens? Well, nature starts to clothe it with grass and flowers. And then there's a stream. And then nature brings beauty to this upheaval. In the same way that God has done for us. And finally that little girl got it. That no, you may be going through an upheaval in your life. It may be ugly. It may be intrusive. It may have been unplanned. It may be sad and it's, it is just a wreck. And you, there, you, oh, you don't see anything beautiful from this. But oh, when we submit ourselves in faith to God, we trust in Him. Oh, He's going to make it beautiful. He's going to make that upheaval in your life beautiful in its time. And He's going to use it in some way. I mean, you go to the... I've never been to the canyons. Many of you have. But aren't they the most beautiful things that there are? They used to be ugly. But God is going to take that ugly in your life. And He's going to make it beautiful. We have patience. And we trust in Him. We may not see the full picture, but God does. God sees the full picture. Last, why should we be content? Why? Well, it tells us. To be content is to have peace with God. The peace that passeth all understanding. And in verse 18, or actually verse 19, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Our hope is not a philosophy. Our hope is not an ethic. Our hope is not a creed. Our hope is not an ideal. Our hope is in the person of Christ. Jesus will help that little woman with her big problem at home. Jesus will help her to live the life that she ought to live. If she will lean on him, Jesus will help that man who's cursed with the demon of ambition and envy and lust and sin, cursed with the demon, uh, any other demon, and will send him down through the streets one day of victor in Christ, overcoming 
We have a peace of God. That's why we should be consent, content. We have an anxiety that's relieved. It promotes thankfulness to God. When we're content, it draws us closer to Christ. And it, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Faith in difficulty strengthens our faith. Disbelief in difficulty strengthens your disbelief. Remember that. When you're at a, a crossroads and you can choose faith or choose unbelief, choose the easy way, you will never, that is not pleasing to God, nor does it grow your faith. Choosing to be content, we rejoice in life, and we're pleasing to God. Ultimately, with Christ as your Savior, with the Spirit as your guide, and God the Father, as your almighty King, creator and sustainer of all things, why wouldn't we be satisfied? Why wouldn't we have all sufficiency in everything that God has done for us? Now, in all these circumstances, we are a master, not a slave. We're a victor, not a victim. A conqueror, not a, uh, of a casualty. I got a poem, and then I'll stop. Sometime when all life's lessons have been learned, and sun and stars forevermore have set. The things which our weak judgment here has spurned, the things over which we grieve with lashes wet, will flash before us, clear in life's dark sky, as stars shine most in deeper tints of blue, and we shall see how all God's plans are right, and what seemed most reproof was love most true. Oh, I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Can you go home today and we can take the word of God, we can take his promises, we can lean on them, and we know when we come to that hill called difficulty that we can put all our faith and trust in him, knowing that he has given us the victory. And though the path seems scary, that decision seems scary, it seems like you're just going to be heaping on stress to yourself. Oh, how much more blessings there will be in life. You may not see the full picture, but let's just turn our back on what Satan whispers to you and follow the Lord. Follow Him in faith. It pleases God. And we will see that God will give you the strength. He'll give you the comfort. He will give you the, the spirit of victor the spirit of being a conqueror. And oh, then we'll, one day we'll look back and we'll say it was faith was the victory. How God has strengthened me. And I pray as we go home, as the Lord puts you in a situation, you know, we understand the secret of being content. Being content in the content that God has given you. Being content in the content that God has given you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. Oh, Lord, teach us with your Holy Spirit. Father, we know that through many tribulations and trials we must go. Father, in all the way you lead us, you're teaching us, instructing us. The paths may be dark, may be scary. There may be an upheaval that has happened in our lives. And Father, we see no beauty anywhere. We see no help or no hope. Father, we know that you are on your throne and you will make all things beautiful in its time and in its season. 
Father, may we just put our rest in you. May we not be discontentment. May we not be scared or worrisome or fearful or unthankful. Father, but may we just with whole hearts come to you thanking you for how good you are. Our hope will never be ashamed in you. For we know you are sufficient for all our needs and even beyond our needs. Father, instruct us with your word today. I do pray if one is not here, if one is here who is not saved, Lord, even today, that you'll save them by your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all please stand, and, and uh, Brother Ron and Sister Harry.